0: Welcome to Fintech Impact. This podcast is an exploration of the financial technology world, interviewing different fintech entrepreneurs about what they do, their story, and what their impact is on consumers, incumbents, and the industry as a whole. Here's your host, award-winning financial planner, university lecturer, and writer, Jason
1: Pereira. Hello and welcome to Fintech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Kazem Frank. Chasm is co-founder of NuCo. NuCo is a company that helps implement blockchain technology within financial services companies, specifically in banking and securities. Chasm is also one of the co-founders of his own cryptocurrency, Aeon, and he's going to talk to us today both about the implementation of blockchain in existing financial institutions and cryptocurrency and Aeon in general. And with that, here's Chasm. Hello, Chasm. Hey, how's it going? Good. Thanks for coming in, making the time. My pleasure. Thanks for having yeah, me. Thanks. So Chasm Frank, tell us about NuCo. Absolutely. Nuka is a company
0: started by myself and two partners, uh, Matthew Spoke and Jintu, uh just over two years ago. Two years ago, Madjin and I were the blockchain leads for Deloitte's Canada blockchain practice. Yeah. The premise was pretty much... How do you take this really novel technology blockchain that is, you know, high potential but low maturity and how do you
1: close that gap? It's a great way of saying it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <There> it is. <laughs> um, Huge potential, very early stages. True. Right? And how do you actually mitigate that gap in a very specific context? So, obviously, Deloitte goes to market with some very distinctive clientele, obviously the big banks, insurance, healthcare, government. It really takes a a certain threshold to be meaningful for for those kind of people. And the question or the pain point we were trying to solve for was essentially, how do we take this technology, apply it in the context of those businesses to create a return that is tangible, Mm -hmm. meaning it, it really needed to be more than hey, blockchains are cool and, and, you know, we want to play around with it. How do you actually bring it to a business to create a return that you could quantify? And we've done that for a couple of years until it was kind of a moment of truth. The question me and my partners had to ask ourselves was, were we happy constraining ourselves to kind of the peripheral? Of what right. this technology means, meaning did we want to sell, you know, advisory and consulting and maybe implementation you want a on service company? or
1: did you want to build? Exactly.
0: Yeah. And and obviously we're we're sitting here having this conversation, so you know kind of where we were at. I'm so, not on the edge of my seat on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we started Nuco very much on the pretty much the same premise I'd say from our Deloitte days. It it was much more technology focused, mm-hmm. I meaning it was much more around can you build the platform itself and then figure out how to go to market? But pretty much the the rationale was was still, let's go after really big organizations and and try to make our mark there. And and we're very successful.
1: I could name drop work we have done with the banking sector. We're going to come Uh, back to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the Deloitte background, no doubt, gave you those connections and also the credibility. So that's definitely valuable. Okay. So we're going to come back to the company in a minute, but let's talk about your personal background. What did you do before you got in this and what what brought you into the blockchain world? Wow. That's a good question. So
0: I was always into tech. Growing up, that was Kind of my thing. I actually kind of financed my my undergrad law degree and business degree by being a system admin for an IPTV company. So so I was always always always. So you're working about in technology,
1: it. but Correct. you took law and business. I did. No wonder you ended up in smart contracts and blockchain. Okay, <laughs> continue on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good perspective for it. Um, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, oh, who's Nick zabo has got a very similar overlap of right. uh, background. Yeah,
0: right, right, right. And to me, the experience was pretty much. I found myself infatuated with with what this technology meant from from very mundane kind of applications of how we do things in the world, right? Like a lot of people really focused early on on this is going to displace money and and this is, you know, we're going to kill Visa, like a lot of these really audacious things, but they were really focused, I'd say, on the monetary kind of layer of this. To me, it was always the trust layer. The fact that you now have this mechanics, never possible before, that really facilitate a more profound trust trust mechanism between people that that really blew my mind i found myself very early on uh, so so i did my undergrad degrees in israel i moved to canada in 2012 i did my mba in here in ufd in rotman i teach at york so boo you know (laughs) we're we're not gonna get into that right now (laughs) but but yeah i i essentially i started working for deloitte right out of campus and and that was kind of where where i you know, for the first time in a professional capacity, not just in a hobby, that's where I gravitated towards blockchain. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deloitte, so they're, you know, huge, huge, huge credit. They have a great practice around what what's called exponential technologies, mm-hmm. which are essentially anything that we believe will affect probably not markets today, but will have profound impact on how we do things in the future and from there the route to blockchain for myself was yeah
1: I must say for that company a size of that company they really do focus on disruptive technologies quite well absolutely that's great and it's you know the trust engine thing is, is exactly the I'm just taking the name of a book the trust engine but I agree with you to me that's the most exciting part the audacious stuff and the currency stuff I've always had kind of a you know a second two minds on but in terms of the verification and trust like that to me just resonated when I've always I've even said on this podcast I'm very bullish on blockchain mm-hmm. and I don't know what the thing a Bitcoin, right? Because again, I think that there's the currency aspect. Absolutely, there is something there, but when you hear some of these claims made, you're just like, okay, now you're turning me off, <laughs> right? But we can debate that ourselves later. So basically, so you guys led to, you started NUCO. So what I found compelling was some of the projects that you guys already worked on. Right. And, you know, you have a lot of very interesting applications listed here. And one, one of the reasons I wanted you in is it's hard for people to kind of grasp how this fundamental technology is going to revolutionize how almost every interaction we have because they're too distracted by where Bitcoin is, right? So let's talk about some of those, some of the more interesting ones you've done there. Sure, absolutely.
0: So maybe maybe I'll give two examples here. So I, I think you're, you're right on the money mm-hmm. in terms of really thinking past what's the price of Bitcoin and, and what are better versions of how do we transact in a financial capacity are. I think the big applications are really where you could disrupt existing trust models. And I think that's what got everyone freaked out early on because... This technology, and obviously I'm painting a really idealistic kind of uh, picture here, but this technology could really mean a gigantic shift in
1: how we think of intermediaries, so let's take a step and define that. So, uh, because again, the market, my market here is yes, technologists, but also people in finance. So we have to be a little bit cognizant of that. So, in terms of trust models, what we're talking about is again the intermediaries who confirm that yes, this person did that. So the visas of the world, right? I paid for that. Visas in the middle confirming that yes, I had the credit to pay for that. Yeah. The banks in the middle to confirm that yes, I had the cash in the account to do that. But even something is you know, even the securities world. I trade a security, right? Did I even own that security in the first place? Yes. The the dealers and brokers are in the middle for that. But anything that involves a transaction that doesn't involve a physical exchange of here's my cash and here's my good is a trust model. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's talk about those applications. And and I would
0: say it's the custodianship model that that is really being threatened by blockchain. Meaning let's talk about something non-monetary at all. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about you run a website, Mm -hmm. which you do and you want to know how successful your website is, mm-hmm. and you go to Google and you ask them, hey, Google AdWorks or, or, you know, analytics, tell me, please, how many visits do I have, right? And today, the only validation that you have is, this is good data, because I trust Google.
1: Yeah, taking Google's word for it. But then again, they're also incentivized to tell me better or demand something that's going to result in skewing of the pricing for their ads.
0: So if I were to ask you, could you tell me, what is your tool to validate this data? Literally, it's, well, I trust Google, it's a black box, that's it. Yeah, that's and so this it. thing could be applicable to anything, right? Blockchain really changes this fundamentally. And maybe this is a good segue to kind of the enterprise applications that, that we've been able to you know, deliver. Yeah. TMX, let's start with TMX. TMX has been a fantastic partner of ours really a
1: bunch of really progressively thinking dudes and for those of you out of Canada, that's Toronto Montreal exchange correct. So just, those are the exchanges for securities and commodities in Canada
0: correct yeah. correct correct so essentially there they are the Canadian exchange and that is true for you know the equities derivatives uh commodities pretty much nationwide here in Canada and the type of work we've done with them was essentially to look at one of their models around how they clear commodities today. We worked with a group that, by the way, is no longer part of the TMX. They sold it last year. It's called NGX, the Natural mm-hmm. Gas Exchange. Yep. And essentially, what, what the type of work we've done with them was around you guys trade on natural gas commodities. And the trade uh, process is, is a pretty modern one. There is an efficient... modern engine that is able to price match so ask and bids get matched and and a trade happens but then of course we're talking about an actual commodity meaning somebody needs to deliver the natural gas to you know origin to destination and the clearing part that is where we really saw the value out of, of out of using essentially blockchain so the way this model works is uh you and i We agreed to, you know, I'm going to sell you natural gas and because it's a commodity and it needs to be shipped, then it's essentially a futures contract. This is me delivering Mm -hmm. to you by Christmas kind of a thing. By the time Christmas comes around, however, you probably change your position 12 times over, right? You shorten it. You didn't want all this exposure. Market prices fluctuate. There are many good reasons why most of those, literally the predominant portion of those contracts, change Mm -hmm. between what was originally intended The tricky part is that the way the process works today, and this is true kind of in North America, not just in Canada, is uh, most of those deals where you, the original buyer, you held a contract of me delivering, you know, on a specific data, specific quantity. You usually go the OTC route when you want to change that position. And again, I'm, I'm not going into the industry, you know, nitty
1: gritty, but many different. It's not reasons. an open market; like it's over the counter. So basically, there's there's no. It's not transparency like on a stock exchange where you can see a price quoted any day. You got to call the desk and say like, what is the price on this, and then they quote unquote, price it based on what the effective market is. But God knows if it's true.
0: Correct. And I'd say that the problem even compounds further in complexity because on any one of these contracts, on average, you have over 10 of different entities that are essentially changing hands. And there could be forks, meaning sometimes you say, you know, I'm buying a million BTUs. I'm going to keep half, send half.
1: Yeah. The original contract gets fragmented, refragmented, repurchased. Any number of things. So by the time you're done, for lack of a better term, it's as if you got a box of Lego. You buy the entire box, you start sending it off, you take some back, and it's just it's like currency. You never know. It has no identity. It's all the same thing. You're totally getting you're it. Tracking so, it. Yeah. So here, so now
0: so so this is a really interesting kind of exemplary case study as to where you should be thinking of applicability of blockchain when you have any use case actually that involves a fragmented market where many different people are involved in the value chain from, you know, start to finish, they are not necessarily aligned on the incentives, right? So, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to price take, you're trying to price take, yep. and we're sometimes, you know, in this specific case, we're not even aware of each other. So I know who I bought from and who I sold to, but anyone else in Beyond that, that chain, you don't know who they sold to or, yeah, that's- that is, absolutely the case where you could start thinking of the benefits of blockchain. And let me bring it back to that quantifiable return of how you demonstrate that today. And this is absolutely, you know, this is an exchange quoted number. When a cut happens, a cut being somebody did not get what they were supposed to, what they were expecting to get, uh, that's called a cut in the context of the value chain of how you flow gas. When a cut happens, it takes the exchange between 60 and 90 days (laughs) <laughs> to figure out and reconcile who
1: dropped the bull. Yeah. And that is incredibly expensive, as you can imagine. I can't imagine how many different people are involved in that reconciliation. And the one person in team that's got to oversee figuring that out, you would just add up, you rack up the hours. You essentially pointed
0: down, you, you pinpointed to two parties that are essentially blaming each other. And they're saying, no, of course we didn't mess up. You messed yeah. up. Now, here's the interesting thing about specifically about natural gas. It's usually large contracts. Mm-hmm. And natural gas is used literally to heat people's homes. Yeah. So it's not like if it's Christmas and it doesn't arrive, then you could just say, Yeah, we'll figure it out later. So, what usually happens, or and that's the way that is why the exchange kind of has skin in the game, the TMA steps in, they have Large collateral pools of both money and natural gas. Make sure it gets fulfilled. The Correct. Yeah. They make everyone whole, and they, they figure it out.
1: So they have the working capital float. Yeah. And that's got to cost them. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you can tell me how much that is, but I got to imagine that's not a small fund. And that is even
0: before you consider the penalties, because Jeez. if you fail to deliver it to a municipality, you're not.
1: You know, you're the not in the, the Municipality is even greater. Like, oh man, Ooh, so lots now, of complexity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. I think the pain point, we we kind of get it.
0: Let's talk about what we did about it. And I think that's where really folks that are listening to this should really put aside the money aspect of things and really think of blockchain as the state machine that it is. State Mm -hmm. machine being a universal ledger that is helping all these fragmented multitude of of stakeholders kind of know what is true and what's not. In this context, what we did was treat every interaction so every time i buy or sell natural gas but also confirmations did i receive what i was expecting did i send it forward did i decide to keep all of it split it any one of those actions we essentially treat it as a blockchain transaction Mm -hmm. and when i say blockchain transaction it's not a transaction in the financial sense it's a transaction in the sense that somebody's Private signature, yep. essentially your equivalent of your, you know, your digital fingerprint, wrote something that changed the ledger of the blockchain. Yeah. Now this ledger was shared pretty much by every
1: stakeholder. That as opposed to everybody maintain their own separate correct. ledgers of what's owed to me and what's owed to them. Correct. You have one unified ledger that everybody can verify because they all have a record. And that one, unit so it's funny because it's not one ledger; it is multiple copies Sorry. of a ledger multiple distributed. Policy, but they're all, this is a verification process. Exactly. The and, yes. they're, and they're all
0: carbon copies of each other. Yes. Exactly. And, and that is in, in our industry is what we call the single source of truth. Yeah. And that is what this use case with the TMX was actually about. Can we establish a single source of truth where today it's a fragmented siloed databases mm-hmm. with
1: incredibly complex and expensive reconciliation process running between them. It's, the number of people working in back offices, just working on making sure that the person A paid person B and making sure it happened correctly, going over paper and screens, astonishes me. And it's funny because I, I liken this to the world before Vizical and eventually Excel, right? You had accounting firms with these massive back offices that did nothing with spreadsheets. And they're called spreadsheets because they were a giant sheet of paper spread across a table. And people were there with calculators and, and pencils writing all this stuff in. One piece of software eliminated that entire industry. But, and you, know, you can say that, that's ooh, jobs are lost. But that, was, that kind of work is low value, quite honestly, right? And reconciliation of this stuff, does anyone really like that work? Does anyone benefit from that work? Does anyone, the cost of that work, how much, I shudder to think, what the cost of reconciliation, what kind of tax that puts on society and consumption.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think everything you just described is, is- Whenever I do an enterprise engagement, that's pretty much phase one. Phase one is really around the efficiency. Yeah. Could you actually cut all that excess? Yeah. But here's where I get excited. I get excited when we start thinking we've built this thing. We've proven that there is value, which is how we were able to go through the corporate letter and and get it kind of approved. What's the next thing? What's the big so what? And the so what for me is how do you go to market where you don't already do business? So again, let's, I'm not going to, you know, pertain Hmm. to to speak for the TMX, but think that now you have essentially a trustless mechanics where before, if you wanted to, you know, approach any other large stakeholder, you really need to convert them around. You should trust me. Right? True. I own the data and I could be a very Trust good Trust is business.
1: implicit the first moment based on the architecture, not the reputation. Exactly. And all of a sudden you have this incredibly
0: efficiently
1: lean tools of, of essentially yeah. delivery.
0: You could go to anyone and say, hey, here's a node. You're going to own a hundred percent of the data yourself. Yeah. You're going to participate you can in the consensus. yourself, knock yourself out. And there you go. And I think that that's kind of the big picture. Because this model is absolutely my kind of, my prediction around how markets convert around blockchain yeah.
1: is this. And it's interesting because one of the things that, I mean, you know, we were inundated with stuff about the total power consumption of Bitcoin. And, you know, there was an article recently on, on how Bitcoin could crash the internet in general because of the inefficiency of when you have that many nodes performing that many transactions and compounding it, it just eats up too much bandwidth and all that stuff. And that, that's all valid. But that's not the future of real block, like the real future of blockchain. The future of blockchain is what you're talking about there, which is essentially like private stake owners mm-hmm. involved and have, that have skin in the game that basically are going to run their own blockchain in order to verify that their little universe is conducted trust- truthfully and efficiently. Right. Like that, the number of applications for that is, is substantial and, and phenomenal. Now, i got to, you know, you can tell me if you, you want to tell me you don't have to or if you can't tell me. I'm guessing that to the, this is an interesting situation. I mean, I'm sure when you talked to the TMX, it was like, where are you feeling the most pain? And this is probably one of the big ones, right? And I gotta think this was their nice like, little toe in the water to see how much further they can deploy it. Because I, you know, I think not too long in the future, I think we all know, it's like, okay, great. So trades are not going to be T plus three on stocks anymore. They're going to be like done. And I look forward to that day because... <laughs> yeah. Three days to settle something, give me a goddamn break. Like, what no, I, I, I
0: totally agree. And I think you you hit on two really insightful themes. Here. One, I hear the, the, you know, oh, sure, a blockchain is a bit of real, but oh my God, look at Bitcoin. There's no way that we could scale this. And I hear this many times over. The, the thing I kind of realized that most people don't appreciate is there's a huge difference in between a public network. Mm-hmm. So essentially, in, in the public space, Bitcoin, Ethereum, any of the large, you know, kind of global networks today, yep. the threat model is is essentially chaotic. It's everybody's trying to steal my Bitcoin. Yeah. Everyone's a cheater. And if they do manage to cheat, there is no recourse, yeah. nothing. Essentially there is no mechanics
1: for, for me to ever have, I you mean, know, recourse against I mean, anyone. Geez, Mount Gox is bankruptcy, they're just finding Bitcoins now and doing a process for vigilation. How many years ago was that, was that collapse? Like, yeah. five? <laughs> like, so yeah, I mean, like it's, it's, it's pretty terrible.
0: Now the difference between that and essentially an enterprise or maybe I, I guess a smaller scale blockchain is. For most part, we're talking about network of known entities. So essentially for the TMX to know who its partners is, that's a no-brainer. TMX wants to do business with its partners. Again, that's a given. The question is, and, and this is what we're changing with these blockchains, is does the fact that I know you and I want to do business with you, does that mean I kind of need
1: to blindly trust you? And that's back to my Google example. Yeah. That's what's changed. So it's interesting because they have the trust from the reputation in the first place. Yeah. But that trust is further enhanced by the fact that they are giving the blockchain to that community. So it's like, you can trust me, but you don't have to take my word for it. Great. Right? So Great. I may be the authority on transactions of this in the future. Or I may be, you know, we may be the biggest company that does that, you know, trades jelly beans or whatever, whatever it is, doesn't matter. But you don't just have to take my word for it. And like, here is the actual full thing. So it's interesting. It's like trust squared. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. And when you're, so, so that's exactly
0: right. And I think this will become the de facto standard of our business with data, which is essentially all business are conducted where we want, we trust each other, we have reputable brands, but we kind of expect that the technology reflects that, right? Today, it's it's still kind of a market failure that we we need to have siloed kind of databases and decide what's true and what not. That's yeah. what I just oh, described. Send
1: me your description of these transactions and when you settle them, I'll verify them against mine or we'll exchange them at the same time. Like Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a brutal world. I mean, it's... Uh And that's what, again, when I read the paper originally, that's what resonated with me. It was not the currency aspect. It's like, huh, transaction verification amongst multiple parties openly. This is a lot better than what we're living with.
0: Totally. And when you're dealing with a network of known entities, you all of a sudden are dealing with a completely different threat model. This is not Bitcoin.
1: This is not chaos. This is... If someone's yeah. cheating, yeah. right? The Russian mafia can't jump on this and try to <laughs> try to you know. I wasn't going there, but <laughs> well, I just picked on Russia. But I mean, some of the cases I've heard of like money laundering and people stealing from mafias. Like, whoa, you want to end up
0: dead? Like, this is not a game I want to play. So, I, so I'd say it's the opposite. I'd say that that in the context of enterprise blockchains are probably the most transparent kind of rails architectures yeah. that you could ever use. So maybe that's a good segue to the second example I wanted to give. Sure, uh, we've done a really interesting delivery work with a bunch of banks. Unfortunately, I'm not in the liberty of of disclosing, but you can think of of large financial institutions that need by mandate of regulation or maybe even legislation to communicate with each other in context of we need to make sure that capital markets are being played fair. And unfortunately, this is as far as I could go to the use case. but, But the point I'm making is The way this communication happens today is is via mail or email in in best case scenario, an auditor from, you know, the government, sometimes it's it's self auditing needs to come in at the end of the year and kind of say, prove to me that you're on top of what's going on with this process. And and it still blows my mind and, you know, literally in 2018, we still need to like show someone a printout of an email saying, I asked a question, I got the answer. There is no uh, validation to, you know, how authentic the email is.
1: Yeah. Oh, God. I love that. It's like, oh, here's the PDF. Okay. Can I just import that PDF document into Adobe and then go to edit mode? And, you know, like, like it's, it's part of that speaks to the lack of technical sophistication of people in general that they don't realize that, guess what? If it's digital, anything can be altered. And again, in real life, I'm gonna be altered too. But yeah, it's, it's you're right. Like this takes that away. This basically creates that very true validation. That- so if I'm, you know, if I'm a regulator on top of any of these spaces, I
0: probably think blockchain is the best, you know, the best thing since sliced bread because all of a sudden I could tell these people, I don't care about the actual forensic, you know, don't show me a sample. Show me that the integrity of the ledger between you is intact. Yeah. And the way the best way to do it is actually make those auditors,
1: regulators, part, part of, of the, the network node. of
0: TIL. And yeah. that's a- it.
1: And it's real time, right? As opposed to we're going to sample this tiny, tiny part and hope that we, you know, we figure maybe there's five percent errors. So if we basically ask for a hundred records, we should find at least five things wrong. Like instead of doing that, it's like literally the program, you know, the blockchain is there. Something's monitoring it. Something goes off the rails. There's the notification. Absolutely, right? Absolutely, I agree. And it's interesting. This conversation is different than most conversations I'll have on on blockchain and Bitcoin because you're not talking about supplanting the need for any authority. You're no. talking about enhancing their ability to be trusted, as opposed to the world where we don't need financial intermediaries, we need any of that, which is what a lot of the you know we'll call the more anarchistic versions of this are. And I think that. As usual, the, the past, the future looks a little bit more like the past than people like to think. So I don't think we're going to completely supplant our trust for a couple of generations. So this is this is great. So one of the other things I wanted to focus on in, in detail was that you were part, your organization was part of a project or started the project called Aon, right. which is another blockchain in itself. Tell me about Aeon and I want to get into the weeds of, of what this does and what it's going to solve.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So so Aon was born out of a pretty much a realization by us that blockchains need to be Interconnected networks. And and I'll I'll clarify that, but, but let's put it in a very tangible kind of context. We just talked about the TMX use case that we've created with the Canadian Exchange here. Canadian Exchange asked us two really interesting questions. They said... We love everything you're doing with natural gas. Mm -hmm. Could you apply and expand that use case to, you know, do other kind of of commodities that we deal with? Uh, Could you do, you know... uh, The answer um, is yes. (laughs) Oil. Yeah, exactly. And and, and of course, the answer is yes. Across the board, it's very easy to represent the same kind of logic with other kind of asset types. The second question, however, was a bit more tricky because what they asked was... Well, you've given us a blockchain that deals with clearing of commodities. Would that blockchain be able to trigger events coming from, let's say, a banking blockchain? Right? Or mm-hmm. a financial network blockchain. So payments could be triggered as yeah. a consequence of that. The inter-blockchain
1: happening. communications issue. Exactly. Yeah. And,
0: and that is not
1: as straightforward. From a tech perspective, no. that's actually pretty challenging. And it's interesting because I, in a previous interview, I said it's kind of it almost when you think about it, it's almost a glaring omission from the original thinking or surrounding blockchain. But then again, it was never intended to do that. It was originally looked at as a currency. It was not right. at a smart contract. And, and well, I, I don't know the, the currency thing, but listen. We, well, you know, the Satoshi paper was predominantly. Sure, yeah. sure. I mean, sure. That's that's what I'm talking about, the initial reference. So
0: Satoshi, you could think of it as, as an integrated solution. Satoshi said, sure, we need to do better money. And to yeah. do better money, he came up with the blockchain. Yeah. Right? That's uh, kind of how the story. Problem came. solved. Exactly. <laughs> the, the thing is, those are really two different things, right? The Bitcoin, the currency, and Bitcoin, the blockchain, are, are essentially, you should think of them as layers yes. instead of one integrated solution. When Ethereum happened, so again, the, the well, Vitalik came up with that one. Yeah. Vitalik came up with this one, probably, well, definitely not too far from where we're sitting right now. Oh, no, that's right. I didn't even think of it. <laughs> <laughs> she put um, a
1: plaque up someday. All right.
0: <laughs> the auspice of what he was trying to do was, was absolutely much more grander scale than what Bitcoin was. It wasn't just saying financial currency blockchain, it was Sure, it, there will be a currency application, but it's one application on top of a much broader platform. Mm-hmm. And, and this is where this gets interesting, because yeah. even when Ethereum came to be, it was always contemplated as the blockchain. It was contemplated as a single network yeah. that's going to you know, scale the world and runs... Effort.
1: All contracts, all capacities, every possible use case you could possibly have. Yeah. Exactly.
0: And, and I think that was the biggest kind of... That probably is the biggest oversight, because
1: we understand
0: today and this is not you know a statement about the future this is literally last week we understand that there will be many different networks that Mm -hmm. are doing many different things
1: well everybody's got different people have different vested interests right so they're not necessarily going to want to put on the one large open public ledger
0: right correct and 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 you're going to have specializations you're going to have companies like ibm and R3, uh, Ethereum itself, each one of these are good at solving different kinds of pain points and use cases. The question is, and, and this is definitely something that our industry, the maturity process that we were talking about, that's part of it, a big part of it. The conversation in the blockchain industry is evolving from what is the best blockchain, right? Which is honestly a silly question because everything needs to be read within a context. Exactly. Into how do we take all these awesome innovations And instead of running them as the spirit islands that do not talk to each other, how do we create one cohesive fabric that actually constitutes an ecosystem?
1: Yes. So how do we communicate between them, do a contract and, pardon me, do a contract, say, for example, on the the natural gas that you did, right? That maybe has some sort of deal for final sale in Ethereum, which is also paid off in Bitcoin or whatever, you know, the number of communications you can have there.
0: Exactly. So essentially the answer we came up with was, Again, I'll keep it in the context of the TMX example, if before I would have had to tell TMX, well, no problem. Let's just get all the banks in the world as part of your blockchain, which is very not a feasible thing to
1: do for many different reasons. (laughs) I I, I would love to see that meeting at a conference and (laughs) and the laughter in the room that would happen. Yeah. So we understand that it will be
0: different blockchains doing different things. But there is definitely value in being able to go cross-chain. So now maybe focus in on that aspect. How do you go cross-chain today? Today, the way you go cross-chain is essentially by going off-chain. I'll give a very simple yeah. example, I hope. If you own a Bitcoin, good yep. for
1: you, lots of money. Um, uh, not lately, go on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bringing I'm <laughs> up my price Bitcoin. right now, hold on, All right. <laughs> You got me wondering.
0: <laughs> so when you own a Bitcoin, And you totally bought into, you know, it's purely decentralized, no single authority and no intermediaries. And you want to take that Bitcoin and buy Ether with it. So another purely digital decentralized asset. The way you would do it is is either by going through what we call a cryptocurrency exchange Mm -hmm. or would do an OTC kind of deal with a friend or whatever institution, but you're still forced to go off chain. Yes. So essentially the model today to go cross-chain is you start on chain you go off-chain, you go back on-chain. And when you, you know, you Google it and you read the newspaper and, and you see that, you know, a bunch of people get hacked and a bunch of money got stolen. It's usually those off-chain rails, exchanges and other otherwise,
1: yeah. that are the points of vulnerability. That's the points of weakness, right? Exactly. I mean, you think about the world before the internet existed right? You had computers doing random things, but still the communication had to happen somehow, right? So you were either moving physical media in the form of disks or paper, and then there was work on the other end to make it integrate. And yeah, that, you know, you can have, you know, as an example, like you could, you could have guards and protocols around the computer, but the physical transaction between those two points was a a point of attack. Exactly right.
0: So essentially, if, if you kind of think about, the way we do is, and, and maybe before I pitch our solution, I'll, I'll give another example from enterprise because we, we kept talking about enterprise. So today, the common practice of how you bridge to you know permissioned enterprise blockchains is essentially by setting up what's called a relay. And a relay is essentially a third party that uh-huh. steps between these two blockchains yep. and just mitigates and passes messages and data between them. The problem with this approach is, quite honestly, it makes very little sense. If you're doing a blockchain to be decentralized and you're forcing centrality back into the process, then why do a blockchain to begin with? Exactly. So when you kind of think about it and you run a very quick kind of thought experiment in your mind, the only possible acceptable answer is the go between any two blockchains has to be a blockchain. Yeah, because
1: why would you... Create use the problem that you created the pro, uh, created a solution for in the first place to be an intermittent step.
0: That's absolutely right. So Aon was born out of realizing that there needs to be a decentralized rail, a mm-hmm. true blockchain to be able to mitigate the problem of going across chain. And the way we do it is essentially by putting a consensus mechanism. So again, the underpinnings yep. of what makes a blockchain a blockchain throughout the entire process. When you want to build a bridge between blockchain A and blockchain B, it goes through and and being a blockchain itself. And the bridge itself runs a consensus mechanism. So every step along the way clears a decentralized consensus where we all validate the, essentially the validity
1: of the data. Brilliant. And that makes perfect sense. Now, I've already talked to uh, another blockchain who's doing something similar, but yours is different. I mean, they were basically structured as a layer kind of that... the business would basically interact with that blockchain and then that would be executed through other blockchains. Can you speak to how you are different?
0: Yeah, I'd say that there are two kind of beasts today in the world when it comes to blockchains, you know, in business. There is the business on a blockchain, Mm -hmm. which the TMX is a great example. We already have a business... And we want to integrate a blockchain as a rail. Mm -hmm. And there, if if you're asking me specifically about any of those, you know, API providers or services providers, that's probably the model they go through. Correct. The other kind of, of entities, and those are really exciting, are blockchain as a business. Meaning, what does it look like if my entire business is enabled only because there is a blockchain? Yeah. I would say the word different because we actually contemplate working with both those types. Hmm. And I think when you kind of think of the future, the big potential here is being able to bridge those two. So you want to create hybrid networks that still have, they're still purely decentralized in the sense that they're running blockchains through and through, but they have a TMX kind of blockchain. So it's a permission uh, blockchain where there needs to be a quorum around the member's who gets to join the blockchain? Exactly. It's not yep. open for all. But the big value becomes out of that blockchain is actually connected through a bridge to the public networks. Mm-hmm. So
1: think about it from a value proposition perspective. There are. So the example I gave previously, you transact on that private blockchain, but it's going to be settled with a party via smart contract through Ethereum or, and then whatever. Cryptocurrencies used to basically pay attention, pay for that transaction or validate that transaction. Correct. And, and think, so again, from, you know, you don't need to, to
0: have a tick understanding to, to just look at the markets and understand that even on a bad day like today, there's still a quarter of a trillion dollars. Yep of assets in crypto that are sitting out there and those businesses that adopt this approach this Mm -hmm. hybrid approach of of doing being truly decentralized they're going to be the very first businesses that could cater to these markets Mm -hmm. so essentially today quarter of a trillion dollars that are not good for much between going between Crypto A to Crypto B, yeah. and with a lot of friction, feel A lot of friction. A lot
1: of friction. That's a, you know, what was the article I saw? So you're into crypto. I hope you like fees. If you're an owner of a business
0: and you're saying, well, I want to create an architecture that actually allows me to cater to those quarter of a trillion dollars and give them a rail from assets yeah. to real world goods and services, you're going to make a killing.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, if you can, exactly, right? If you, can be, if you become a conduit, and you see, you know, different countries are taking different approaches. I mean, the adoption rate in this country has been pretty weak and so has the US. But I mean, look at places, I think Japan was, lo- was the developed market leading the way in that in terms of the number of things. You can, Korea was big in it. Absolutely. They're starting to push back on that. Although, you know, countries whereby currency stability is a major issue. Bitcoin volatility is nothing compared to devaluation of their currency, right? So you've seen a lot of you know African republics, some South American ones, turn to crypto as a more stable basis for that, right? So businesses, by their nature, are having to accept those. So yes, I mean, as that all funnels out, I think that's going to be the, the bottom line. Is is that there is no more, there is nothing in this world I'm more bullish than in blockchain because I just look at the world of friction and the world of need for trust and the bloated systems we have in place for them now and. You don't, I don't believe in a world that replaces them outright. I believe it's in a world that evolves them to something that's much more hybrid and efficient.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I think that kind of the adoption curves that we're seeing is, is you know, they're consistent with other waves of innovation. Essentially, it's hard to convince a jurisdiction like Canada or in the United States it's a state that's got stability and safety. You don't; they're not feeling pain. Exactly, exactly. So why would I move? It's not yeah. broken, right? Yeah. When you're looking at how this is being implemented in, in places where, you know, the unbanked sector is gigantic. Huge. If you're looking at the continent of Africa, if you're looking at any of the developing countries, yeah. essentially that is where the pain lies today. So I would say that if you're thinking there are two things that are going to happen, again, personal projection here. We're going to see more of the example that I gave of TMX. It doesn't touch money. It doesn't touch payment. It's what a big mature enterprise would classify as non-risky, right? Mm-hmm. We're yep. going to see these peripheral blockchain use cases that are trying to tip markets. Because mm-hmm. again, blockchain is our network. It's, uh, we understand network effects to be low, low,
1: low, low. Everywhere. Then boom, exponential. Exactly. Well, it's- What's the equation? There was an equation on the value of uh, every additional node to a network. And it uh, I got to look up that rule now. Anyway, so one of the things I wanted to touch upon too is the way you've structured Aon. Sure. It's, it's a not-for-profit. And I want to talk about what that means in terms of structure and why you went that route. Yeah, that's pretty, it's To my understanding, I, I don't think I've seen another not-for-profit blockchain. So wait, Ethereum itself, the foundation that, you know, Vitalik's yeah. a member sorry. of. Sorry, the way you guys have... There is, there is, but I think the way you guys have done is a little bit different from my understanding. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: so it's true because I
1: think we've went through a very transformative kind of process. We
0: started as Newcombs, so a for-profit yeah. company that created a project. Yep. And, and that project grew so quickly and so large. Uh, today, I think the market cap is around $200 million. That essentially the project became a business line, and very quickly became its own business. Mm-hmm. And that business became so large that essentially it encompassed encompassed the, the original business it spawned. It so we needed to make a decision that wasn't easy. It was straightforward in terms of the rationale, but mm-hmm. the decision itself definitely not easy. Around how is it that we continue streamline and accelerate the growth of Van? And the thinking is, is kind of. If I want to make the argument, and I certainly do, that anyone should be building on AI, developers and businesses should yep. really adopt this thing, should I be monetizing on it? Or should I be promoting it just to, to really cater to as wide of an audience as I can? And the answer to me was easy, meaning we need to sacrifice monetization directly on AN to be able to make a good faith, you know, straight face argument that, guys, this is much more of a standard than it is a business.
1: You, you eliminate the, the self-serving implication of it. Correct. To create a larger ecosystem right? and, and put the protocol ahead of your own benefit. I mean, and, that being said, you benefit from being the experts in it, of course. Sure. Right. But nevertheless, it's, it's, it's a notable cause. And I mean, you are currently, as of this recording, the number 61 uh, cryptocurrency in terms of market cap valuation. So, well done. Um, Yeah. And uh, I see plenty of applications. So talk about what it means to, so someone wants to work with your currency or your crypto, what's involved with working with Aon? Like what's, what's the process?
0: Right. So first things first, right? Like the entire, I'd say knowledge base and the wealth of of learnings and insights that we've created, it's all public. So Mm -hmm. everything from the code or GitHub is completely public every last line of code is, is you know been contributed to the community and in it's a true open source project in the sense that it's not our guys kind of write code mm-hmm. and then publish it and we then say oh that's open source we actually have a collaborative process with the community where contributions to the code base are coming from the, the you know the members of the the community itself a true documentation, SDKs, tools, anything that you would need to start Developing on AN tomorrow that's available. Mm-hmm. So sure. You could shoot us an email. There is a form There's yeah. many different ways to get a, a hold of us directly but I think most profoundly is we have absolutely disclosed everything To kind of make the good faith argument that there's nothing that we're keeping behind to monetize. You're not
1: holding back 50% of the coins to basically eventually create that incentive for it to let go. I'm not going to name which coins do that, but nevertheless. So before we wrap up, I mean, first of all, great work. Thank Uh, you, man. I'm very excited to see where it goes because I think that that sort of, I think the hype cycle due to the crash is starting to die off. But at the same time, I liken it to... I kind of liken it to the dot-com bubble, right? You had the hype cycle of the dot-com bubble, things crashed. And then meanwhile, like look at what's happened to the world since then. I think we're a little bit earlier in that curve than people think we are, but I think what really excites me is not what's happened before. It's the implications of what's going to happen with this technology going forward. So that's what excites me. My question for you, which I ask everybody is what excites you about what you're working on today or the marketplace in general? Yeah.
0: So that's a great question. And let me give you the vision of of how I see it. If we're successful, what happens to the world? The difference between the age of platforms, which we all live in today. Mm -hmm. So, you know, your Google, Facebook, Amazons, they create a product and they tell you it's free, but they tell you it's free because you don't realize you're you're the product. And the way this works is you have a gigantic user base but you have a tiny subset of people, usually the shareholders, that get to have all the benefits. So mm-hmm. I try to extract yeah. as much
1: value from, from that user base as, the proto- as I can. Yeah, it's, okay. You're going to the fat protocol argument.
0: Ah, so essentially yeah. for us, it's, yeah. it's simple. Decentralization is a much fairer model to how we do things in the world today. So you're still going to have these services that you expect, you know, services and functionality that you expect out of the modern world. Absolutely. But the underpinnings will be profoundly different. So they're open Mm -hmm. in the sense that anyone can play. If I'm China, I don't get to tell you, oh, no, Google is a no-go and Facebook is a no-go.
1: You can download the node and that's the end of it. That's it.
0: They're permissionless in the sense that there isn't a single authority, a centralized authority that gets to tell you, well, we're pro-West and anti-East or we're pro-East and anti-West. We don't really like your opinion, not allowed. right? Exactly. Permissionless. And I think most profoundly, it's democratic. It's democratic in the sense that finally, we now have a model where the shareholder kind of Venn diagram is completely overlapped yeah. with the user. Base. I mean,
1: in open ones, absolutely. I mean, we can have you can have the, the private blockchains where they're you know they're they're composed differently. But that being said, you have the option of opting in or not, right? And yeah, I, I agree with you entirely. So, as the network grows and creates
0: value, that value is created or oh, sorry, shared equally by all participants. Yeah,
1: and that to me is is the future I want. To live. Yeah, Yeah, it's that old, I can't remember who it was it coined. It It was the fat protocol argument. It's before what happened is the architecture was created. People built companies on top of it and they monetized off of it. Now it's the people who actually work the architecture who benefit from it. And they're the ones who have skin in the game. So thank you so much. This has been great as as always. And I'm sure everyone will love this. Thank you. Thank you. And that was my interview with Chasm Frank of Newco and Aeon. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever it is you get your podcasts. And thank you again for listening. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Until next time.